0: We're Mistio Phoenix, a community of God's people learning to live in God's ways for the sake of our city. A series that we call The People of Advent, where we're looking at people throughout the history of the world who have been in an Advent season. That means they're waiting and they're longing and they're hoping for a rescue to come, a rescue that God promised long ago. And it's a remembering as we go through this, as we're looking at people from the past, that we too are people of Advent, still here today. Because even though we can celebrate, we have seen hope come into the world, we have seen peace come through Jesus, we have seen a joy that we have because of God, Emmanuel, with us, we know too that we are waiting for him to come back. That even though we've seen a glimmer The fullness of the kingdom of God has not come yet because there's still brokenness. And we feel that. And this year, maybe more than ever, you're feeling that. This year, I know many of us here sitting in this room have lost loved ones, maybe lost work, maybe lost friendships. And we're in an Advent season where we are waiting and longing and hoping for our rescuer to come back and to make all things finally and fully right again. So again, I just want to encourage us one more time. Even though you've heard this probably a thousand times if you've been in the church for any length of time, that this news does not get old. It's still good news. If any of you have experienced this, the first time that someone says, I love you to you, and you get like those butterflies in your stomach, right? And then if you're with that person for an extended period of time, 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, let's just be honest, you don't get the same butterflies every time they say, I love you, right? And sometimes it's just like the way you just end a conversation, I love you, bye. You know, And and it starts to grow stale. But you know what? I was reflecting on that this week. I was having a conversation with Will and reflecting on how much more beautiful it is actually that one person, after being with you through years and years of your mess, of your selfishness, of the ways that you just totally blown it, that they still say, I love you to you that that's far greater and far more beautiful than the 19-year-old who has all this hopes for what you're going to be to them who says, I love you, right? And so sometimes hearing this story is like that. It's like the first time you hear it, it's like, this is incredible. And then many of us in this room, not all, but many of us have heard it over and over and over again, and it starts to lose that effect. But how incredible is it that after years of you walking with the Lord in your mess and your selfishness and your sin, he still looks at you with the same amount of love and says, I love you. This morning is God's love story to us in spite of our mess, in spite of our lack of love for him, that God has loved the world in such a way And as we've been looking at the people of Advent, and we started this month off with the very first two humans, the very first two humans God created and put his love upon, we got to backtrack even a little bit more and recognize like this story starts even before that. Because in the very beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was there in the very beginning with God and all things were created through him. There is not one thing that has been made in this world that was not made through him because in him is life and that life is the light of all mankind. And the light has shone into the darkness and yet the darkness could not comprehend it. And so there was a man named John sent by God. And he was sent to go and tell everyone about the light so that all would believe. This man, John, was not the light, but he came to testify about the light. The true light was about to come into the world. And so the word that was there at the beginning became flesh and dwelt among us. We're gonna look at Matthew chapter one and see specifically this story, how the word who was there from the beginning became flesh, how the light that is life entered into the world. And it's an incredible story. As you turn to Matthew one, let me pray for us. Father, we ask that as we enter into this moment, God, that we would feel and experience the very real truth that you are here with us. You are present. May we hear your words speak to us. May we feel your love given to us. In the name of Jesus, we ask this. Amen. If you look at Matthew chapter one, it starts with this amazing, incredible, super fascinating genealogy. Ancestry.com for Jesus, right? And it's just giving like, this this is how it started. These were the people who came before Jesus all throughout his ancestry. But if you go to the end of that in verse 17, this is how they conclude it. And Matthew wrote, so all the generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations. And from David until the exile of Babylon to Babylon, 14 generations. And from the exile to Babylon until the Christ, that is the, King, the Rescuer, the Messiah, 14 generations. Who knows their math really well? 14 plus 14 plus another 14, 14 times three. What is that? A lot, thank you. (laughs) Thanks, Corey. It's a lot, yeah. (laughs) This was a long time of God's people waiting. A lot of stuff went down during that time. And he just sums it up right there in part of it. Part of it included an exile to a country that did not fear the God that they feared, that did not follow God's ways. And they were under that government's rule. And they had to figure out, how do we live as God's people in the midst of this? And this happened over and over again, not just Babylon. And so they're waiting and they're longing and they're hoping. And then the word became flesh. Verse 18, the birth of Jesus the Christ came about this way. After his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph, it was discovered before they came together that she was pregnant from the Holy Spirit. So her husband Joseph, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her publicly, decided to divorce her secretly. But after he had considered these things, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife because what has been conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to name him Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. Now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. See, the virgin will become pregnant and give birth to a son, and they will name him Emmanuel, which is translated, God is with us. If a story about a young, probably ninth grade equivalent girl getting pregnant without ever knowing a man gets old to you, you're not reading it right. This is an incredible story. And it's a story that forces us to go, is this true? Could this really be true? And if it's true, if it's true, it should blow us away. Not just because the impossible happened, but why it happened. You will name him Jesus because he will save his people. I named Jesus, I, I grew up uh, with this kid in my high school named Jesus. And we always picked him for our team whenever we were playing in PE because we wanted Jesus on our side we thought we couldn't lose that way. Uh, It's a common name in the Hispanic culture. This was a common name for the Hebrew people as well. It actually uh, is more closely related to Joshua, not Jesus or Jesus, because it came from Yeshua. Yeshua, which literally is translated Yahweh saves. Somehow over time, Yeshua if you say that fast it, it started to become like Jesus right and then because in our English language like that just sounds weird we gave it a hard j I don't even know how that happened but we gave it a hard j at one point Jesus right? Jesus is God saves his people and he will be called Emmanuel which is translated God is with us God's not distant God is present. So the why of this story is what should blow us away more than the how. But still, you gotta go like, man, in that moment, like if you're Joseph, if you're Mary, the how is pretty insane. So you're Joseph, you're engaged to be married, and your fiance is like, hey, by the way, I'm pregnant. And you know that you guys have basically just Shaking hands so far, right? So you're like, how could this be? How is that possible? It's definitely not mine. So there's a problem here, right? And she's like, yeah, um, it's not yours. It's God's. Holy Spirit, I have a baby now. Like what? Who's going to believe that story, right? Here's the problem. They weren't just engaged like our culture does engagement, like, put a ring on it. Okay. And then maybe in three months or however long it takes to plan a wedding, like we're married, but there's still a chance to back out, right? You still go through like your, maybe if, if you are really intentional, to go through like your premarital counseling and you find all this stuff and you're like, okay, wedding's off. This is not how engagement happened. The actual original word that was translated to is betrothed. And we don't really, that doesn't make sense in our culture because we don't do betrothals. So that's why a lot of these translations say engage. But what would happen in this culture is you would determine for your kids who they're marrying at a young age. And so you would set this up at a young age. Okay, my son will marry your daughter. In exchange, you'll give me some cows or something, right? It's very romantic. And then when they come of age, then you actually do the deal. Like you make that happen. So we agreed on this long ago but let's actually make this transaction now. And you would call the whole community around. Everybody would be witnesses, right? We, we have witnesses for our wedding ceremonies, but this would happen when they would do their betrothal. So basically like these two are married because what does it say later? He decides to quietly divorce her. Not just break off an engagement, not just break up with his girlfriend. Like this was a commitment and the whole community it. Now, if the whole community saw it and the whole community knows that they were not together yet because the wedding hasn't actually happened, and then the whole community knows this young girl is now pregnant, there's gonna be a lot of shame in this culture that comes upon both of these two. Now, Joseph has an option. He could say, hey, it wasn't me. This girl, she, she broke off our betrothal she was unfaithful. She went and had a baby with someone else so that the shame doesn't come on him so that he's not ostracized from his community. So easy out right there. All the shame coming down on her. This is her problem. She did this to herself. But Joseph was a righteous man, that says. Does that mean Joseph was a perfect man? No, no. Joseph was a man who trusted the Lord and tried to follow after the Lord, made a lot of mistakes along the way. But in this instance, this is how he was righteous, not by doing what was right by the letter of the law, but by caring for another human being. By caring for another human being who potentially just put him at risk. This is a dangerous thing for him to walk through. And so instead of just wiping his hands clean from it and saying, hey, this is all her, he decides to quietly divorce her, to let them quietly go about their way and take the risk that the community is going to hear about it, and he takes the shame upon him too. At the expense of himself to care for this young girl. It's incredible. If that's not an entry into the gospel story, the good news of, of the one who is about to be born, who at the very expense of himself to care for you and I, if that doesn't start to paint a picture and give us a foreshadowing of it, I don't know what does. And so he's like, this is what we're gonna do. We're gonna take care of her. And then an angel, that word just literally means a messenger, but a messenger from God, the God who has armies of angels. This is a a warrior who appears with this flashing, blinding light to him in a dream. And he goes, hey, hey, I know it's weird, Joseph, but she's telling the truth. This life that's inside of this womb, this precious life, it's not just any other precious life, but this is actually something God has done. God has come to be with you. Now, that's still a scary thing. Joseph now has confirmation, okay, this is God. Mary wasn't lying. This is real. But now he's got to do something even more scary than quietly divorce her and move on. Now he's actually got to walk into the shame with her because he's going to go forward and marry her and people are going to see that she's pregnant before they got married and they're both in the hot seat now. He doesn't get to walk away from it if he's following what God said. And isn't that what God does? Like if we believe a story that God just wants us to be happy, healthy, and have fun, be prosperous and successful, to live a good life, our best life, we aren't reading the right book. He's calling them into a scary, dangerous, messy situation. And it's not gonna get better for them from here on out, just so you know. Spoiler alert if you haven't heard this story a million times, right? They, they become on the run from the government. Their local king, that is a king of Israelites who's really just doing whatever the Romans tell him to do so that he can live comfortably and get paid. He gets scared of this prophecy of a young one coming and he sets out to kill all the young born baby boys, And so they're on the land, they're running, fearing for their lives, they're poor. They got no place to go. It does not get easier for them to follow what God called them into. But here's the promise. You will have Emmanuel. God will be with you. That's right, Aiden. That's big news right there love it. God will be with you. I don't know about you guys, but I would much rather be in the scariest, worst situation if God is there with me. If he is my protector, my strength, my rock, my shield, my refuge, my house, my fortress, he has got me covered than go into a situation where I feel like, yeah, I got this. I don't need you, God. Because the truth is, I don't got it. I I can't protect myself. And how often are we trying so hard to protect ourselves in this day, in this life, to live comfortably, to set up all the right securities for us and our family? I'm not saying don't be wise, but what I'm saying is what are we putting our hope in? Are we putting our hope and our stock in in what we can control or Emmanuel, God is with us? And sometimes he's gonna call us into some dangerous, messy, risky situations where people are gonna look at us like we're insane or even like they looked at Jesus later as he sat down with prostitutes and sinners and touched lepers who were unclean, even confuse you for being one who doesn't follow after him. If you're being confused for a sinner because you're around sinners, but you're sharing the good news of Jesus, you're doing something right. That's an aside. That one's for free. A little bonus sermon for you, okay? God's gonna call you into stuff that doesn't make sense to people around you. But if you're going with God, Emmanuel, God with us, then you're doing it right. And you're gonna mess up along the way, like we all do. But God is with you. And so now, this very scary situation these are young people. And Mary would have been even younger. Like I said, the equivalent of a ninth grade girl probably. She's, she's probably fearing for her life. And yet they get this news. And now Joseph comes back to her. We don't, this isn't written down, but you know they stay together after he gets his dream. So you, you picture Joseph comes back and he's like, okay, I was going to divorce you. I thought you were nuts and I thought you were unfaithful. But this messenger from God appeared in my dream and I believe you now, Right? Like, how much relief she must have felt in that moment. And he goes, Okay, we're in this together, but we, we probably got to go. We got to get out of here. It's not safe. And they're on the run then. How scary that would have been. But if you turn over to Luke chapter one, we get to hear Mary's response to all of this. Mary gets all this news. Her life potentially in danger. But the angel, when he came to her, he said, Hey, believe me, because even your cousin who's much older than you, your cousin who's like in her 90s, couldn't have a baby her whole life, is now six months pregnant. Go and see. There's a miraculous birth happened there, which we talked about last week. That was going to be John, the one who baptizes. He's like, Go and see your cousin. And that will confirm that this baby is being formed in your womb too. And so she goes and she travels and she visits them. And the first thing that happens when she sees her cousin, Elizabeth, is Elizabeth just like breaks out in this poem because she's like so amazed. She says, my baby just leapt for joy inside my womb at your sight when you came in. You truly are carrying the rescuing God in your womb. She calls her the mother of my Lord. And Mary, like all of a sudden, everything that this crazy looking messenger from God just said to her is confirmed. And she's overwhelmed and she breaks out in her own poem. So in Luke 1, starting in verse 46, and Mary said, my soul praises the greatness of the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my savior because he has looked with favor on the humble condition of his servant. Surely from now on, all generations will call me blessed because the mighty one has done great things for me. And his name is holy. His mercy is from generation to generation on those who fear him. He has done a mighty deed with his arm. He has scattered the proud because of the thoughts of their hearts. He has toppled the mighty from their thrones and exalted the lowly. He has satisfied the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering his mercy to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he spoke to our ancestors. Mary stayed with her about three months before she returned home, hiding away so people don't see that she's pregnant until it's time. There's a whole lot in what Mary just said. First of all, Mary is just overwhelmed that God would do something so miraculous through her. Like, who am I? She's illiterate because women were at that age. She's young. She's about to live a life that's full of shame to her community. And she's on the run. And God, you would choose me, this young girl, to bring the rescue for the whole world. Like that blows her away as it should. And it should blow us away every single day that we're like, God, you would would choose me to share your good news with my neighbor, with this person at work. You would choose me to to trust me with raising my children to know who you are. You would choose me, like you've seen all the stuff I've done, right? And yet you would allow me to speak good news of love and joy and peace and hope to the world around me. Like how often do we just run from that because we're scared, right? But instead of just being overwhelmed, God, you're gonna do this. And you choose to use someone like me to do it. And then Mary moves from this personal exaltation to this is what God has promised long ago through our ancestors. And he's doing it, you guys, to this communal thing. Like, God is not just doing this for me. He promised this long ago to Abraham, to all of our ancestors, and he's coming through for his whole family. He said he would build a family for himself, and that's what he's done. And he's rescuing us. She knows this isn't just for me. I'm not just going to be with the God who's with me and he'll take care of me in spite of everything else going on around me, but I'm going with him as he goes to the whole world and announces his kingdom has come. This is for all people. This is for all nations. And she knows this is is a big call, but God is with me. And then finally, and there's so much, I mean this, they call it the magnificat, the the praise that Mary gives when she finally realizes what's happening here. Uh, There's so many sermons that could be given on, on what's said here. I'm just giving you three really simple points right now. God, this is incredible that you would see me. God, this is incredible that you see your people. And then here's the last thing I want us to think about. She starts talking about, God, you have raised up the lowly and you've dethroned the exalted. Those who were rich and well-fed, you've cast them aside. And those of us who were in need, you have taken care of us. That's at first glance a really weird one. Maybe even a hard one, right? Because hasn't God come for all people? And Jesus even said at one point, it's, it's, Easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than it is for a rich person to get into the kingdom of God. Now, what that's not saying is if you make too much money, God ain't with you. God with us, but he ain't with you, right? That's not what it's saying. What it's saying is those who have exalted themselves with their pride because of their thoughts in verse 51, they will be humbled. Why? because they didn't see a need for God to come and be with us. They didn't see a need for Yeshua, God saves. They didn't see a need for God to come and rescue just as he's promised their ancestors long ago because they've got it covered. They're fine. And so she's saying, listen, those of you who think you've got it covered, those of you who think that you've got it all put together, (laughs) you better watch out. (laughs) You're in for it. But those of you who have humbled yourself before God, those of you who have said, how in the world could God use me? How in the world could God see me? How in the world could God love me? Those of you who hear this story and are still like, oh, wow, this is, I'm still getting those butterflies. Like, how could God love me after everything? Because I recognize that I'm low and I'm in need and I can't save myself. I can't rescue myself from the mess that we've gotten ourselves into. That's exactly where we need to be. Because in that, in a poor, illiterate, little refugee girl in the poorest of poor towns without even a bed to lay on, without even a place to call their home, that's where God showed up. Emmanuel, God with us in our need in our lack, in our brokenness, in our mess. And God shows up. This is exactly what he's been waiting for through the whole story. At the very beginning, the first two people, you chose to say, hey, I could do this on my own. I don't need you, God, to tell me what's right and wrong. And he's going, please recognize your need. Why doesn't he squash them right there? Because he's patient. Recognize your need. Come back to me. And in this moment, in the neediest person probably on the planet, God shows up. And so I pray that this morning we would hear, each of us, what are the ways that we are trying to prove ourselves, the ways that we are trying to save ourselves, to rescue ourselves, to protect ourselves, to set ourselves up for success to show other people around that we've got it put together, to show God, hey, I'm a pretty good person. Aren't you glad you chose me? Because let's be honest, we all do it. What are the ways that we're doing that? Search your heart, ask God to show up and and reveal that to you because we can fool ourselves. We can lie to ourselves and say we've got it all together. Spirit, would you come and show me where I am trying to save myself to be my own rescuer? That's the place God wants us at. Here's the beautiful thing. The beautiful thing is he shows up there. This year, this time of year is really difficult for a lot of people. When you, you think about getting together for the holidays with family and you go, I don't want to get together with my family. Like, do you know the problems that exist there? Or you go, I don't have a family to get together. At least you can see them, right? Or you go, yeah, we're getting together with our family, but this person who was there last year is no longer here. It's a really hard time. And then you add all the stuff of this year around that, and you know, like, depression has skyrocketed, anxiety has skyrocketed, suicide rates have gone up. This is a time of year where that's bad already as it is. And so we know, church, family, brothers, sisters, we know that as we go into this world this week, we have a light that is shining to the darkness, life that has come into death, hope where there was no hope, peace in the midst of chaos. And I know there's a lot of hard things going on in our lives too, but we still have Emmanuel God with us. And so when we go into this world, when we go into this week, when we go into this Christmas, we have a whole lot of people around us who don't have that. We get to go like these candles, we get to go carrying this light with us, the light that has shone into the dark places, which is the life of all humanity. God, would you help us to see our need? God, that we have what it's like walking in the darkness and yet your light has shone on us. So God, may we be awakened to that in a new way today, God. Not taking for granted the joy of your salvation. And God, may we take that with us as we enter into relationships with people around us, as we, as we see strangers even on the street. God, as we... Uh, talk to people over the phone or through Zoom or, or see our neighbor outside. God, in all circumstances where you put other people in our path, may we be one who carries the light with us. May we bring joy and hope and peace. God, because we know the love of Jesus. There's so much fear and anxiety in our society right now. God, may we cling to the rock that we have in you, that we would be stable, that we would be united in you, and that we would be bringers of good news to the world around us. Thank you that you have come to be with us and you have not left us on our own. May we continue to go with you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Jesus didn't just enter into the darkness in this cold, scratchy little stable in Bethlehem, but he fully entered into that darkness 33 years later when he grew to be a man, after he had healed people from their sickness, raised people from death to life, healed people from their blindness, fed those who were hungry, sat down and ate with those that no one else would even talk to, And after he followed all the things that his father, God, had called him to do perfectly, 33 years later, he fully entered into the darkness by being murdered on two wooden beams and then being placed in a tomb, going into the grave, going into death. But the light has shone into the darkness, and that light is the life for all humanity And that light could not stay covered, could not stay hidden in the grave. So on the third day, Jesus rose again, victoriously, miraculously. That is probably, should blow us away even more than the virgin birth at Christmas. Miracle after miracle after miracle, and God has won. He's beaten death. So we go to the table right now as a family. We remember Jesus entering into the dark place for us, but we also remember that he has risen again and his light has shone on the earth.